0: I'm Tony McAleer, author of The Cure for Hate, a former white supremacist journey from violent extremism to radical compassion. And today on Curiosity Bites, we're going to cover the cure for hate. Uh, We're going to talk about hate and what it is. We're going to talk about compassion and the three components that make up radical compassion. And we're also going to talk about the things that you can do in order to change the world by inspiring others to a place of love and compassion.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with my guest on this episode, Tony McAleer. He is the author of The Cure for Hate. He is an international speaker that strives to educate individuals, families, communities, law enforcement and governments that are struggling and grappling with the white supremacist movement. If you would like to join in the conversation, you can come on over to our Facebook group and just have a uh, join in there. Right? We're chatting about these these amazing guests in Curiosity Bites. That's our group inside of Facebook. And we really want to hear from you. We want to know what, it, what you're thinking about this conversation. Maybe you have somebody you know who's in the movement, or maybe you know somebody who's been in the movement. Uh, maybe you're looking to get some insights around this. And uh, please come on in, let's, let's have a chat about this and, and be curious about it. All right, we're, as I said, we're back here with Tony McAleer. We've been talking about, um, about the movement, about getting in the movement, and, and even cat, what catalyzed Tony out of the movement. And um, what we really need is uh, a lot more, a lot more curiosity, but there's more to it than that. So I'm going to go right to the title of your book, Tony the cure for hate. What is the cure for hate?
0: Well, I think we have to understand what hate is. And mm-hmm. I, I define, um, hate as a complete, uh, disconnection and dehumanization <clears throat> from the self. And And we often, um, we often think of the, you know, the angry person with the swastika flag and that, you know, that's,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that's uh, that's hate Uh, and and I think we make a mistake when we do that I think you know that's more like uh, rage okay and hate and and rage um, often go go hand in hand but for me hate is a it's not a hot emotion it's it's a cool disconnection it's the butterfly collector that goes and does medical experiments in Auschwitz and comes home to his family it's a completely dispassionate mm. disconnection and dehumanization and it's when we think of it in that terms it's much more um it's more chilling and frightening when we understand it and in, in, in that lens the the rage part is is easier to to deal with but it's you know it, it's someone who looks at Jews as a as a logistical problem ledger entries the, they're not connected to a human being at, at all and i i think that um i think that um, the level to which we dehumanize other human beings is a mirror reflection of our own in, internal disconnection and dehumanization and when we can't connect to our own humanity it's impossible to connect um with with somebody else so from that so we look at, at hate being that place of total disconnection. Um, so the answer then would be connection, would be the, the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And, and we build that connection through compassion. I think compassion is the antidote to, to hate and, and uh, shame and those, kind, those types of things. And I believe that at the, at the root um, of, of hatred is, is toxic shame. You know, John Bradshaw. You know, writes a great book, um, "Healing the Shame That Binds You,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's the, the alienation of the of the self. That's where that you know that that disconnection comes from. And and we live our lives as human beings. We live our lives in doing two things: hiding that shame from the rest of the world,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and then hiding it from ourselves. Shame is the dirty secret that we hide from ourselves, and we can use substance abuse or cutting or there's all kinds of internalized shame behavior suicide is the ultimate mm-hmm. internalized shame response or we project it onto onto others through violence gangs um verbal abuse emotional abuse uh, murder is the ultimate uh, externalized shame response and i think dr james gilligan who wrote a book uh violence uh, reflections on a national epidemic said he never he worked a, as a psychiatrist in San Quentin I think for 20 years said he never saw an act of violence that wasn't rooted in shame and humiliation so we understand that that is is what what the driver is to that the disconnection of the self and and the others um, shame uh, compassion washes away heals that that shame and so um compassion is the, is the, is the cure for hate. And I I write in the book about radical compassion and, and radical compassion has three components. Number one, your practice of compassion has to take you outside your comfort zone. Um, these are problems in society. We're not going to solve from inside, inside our comfort zone. And, and, um, I learned so much about, being Being vulnerable and going to the edge where where the juiciest part of life is at, and, and being being comfortable outside of our comfort zone
1: mm-hmm.
0: those are those are great lessons number two um, there 's a social activist component to your practice of compassion, um, whereas empathy is feeling what another person um, is going through empathy plus action is compassion compassion is taking action to alleviate the suffering of another and so the social activist component um, involves uh, changing the environment which gives rise to or supports the suffering and the third uh, and it's the most radical thing I think a human being can do in order to give compassion to others you have to mine it from within yourself and so that you know brings us back to the the idea of being curious enough to want to see who the true nature of, of who we are is, and we we do that journey inward, and and it's the most, I think, profound experience um, and difficult uh, experience a human being can can embark on. But when we embrace the curiosity, when we embrace stepping outside of our comfort zone, it's such an incredibly rewarding.
1: Why uh, do you think it's so you know? difficult? Uh,
0: I think because people you know, people, people build up an image of themselves and who they think they are. And we have to go and challenge. We have to be curious. Is this me? Is this not me? Right. And, and, um, we not, we're, we're, afraid of what we might find.
1: Right. Absolutely. Now we started out, um, by saying what I'm curious about is redemption. And I really want to focus in the next part of the show on exactly that on redemption, because um i've been with you i've seen you speak um i know that you have spoken in places that no one would expect a uh ex neo-nazi to be speaking talk to us about some of the redemption stories that you have experienced or that you know about because i think that people need to be have an insight to there is this is not just a conceptual other side. There's a real other side.
0: Sure. And there's, there's two, two things that, that come to mind. I remember doing your, your speaker training program, uh, Mm -hmm. learning how to be a public speaker. And we all went in there with, you know, I'm going to talk about my financial career and, you know, we all, (laughs) that lasted. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I remember, I remember the, you know, going into class one day and, and, you said, okay, I want you to think of the most shameful thing you've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I, and, um, and then you said, okay, go to the front of the class and act it out.
1: And I, by the way, just so everybody understands that wasn't just for Tony, that was for everybody in the class, but Tony was there and he had to do it. Yeah.
0: And so what, what came up for me was, um, was a gay bashing? I, I participated in, um, when I was, I think 17 and, and, uh, you know, we would go drinking and hanging out by the aquatic center, which is where gay men used to go cruising uh, in the '80s. And we ended up chasing this gay man into a construction site, and he went in under what would be like a kind of a crawl space, about the height of a table. And he fled into there and into the darkness, and all we could do was hear him, um, you know, moving in the darkness, and we were like we were like kids at the lake when we picked up stones Mm -hmm. like skipping stones um whistled them into the into the darkness you could hear the clack 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 and then every now and again you would hear this howl of pain Mm -hmm. and it was like a game to us we were so disconnected and and you know being in a place where i knew you know and, and from being in that remembering the times that I was in the office knowing that you know there's something really bad about to happen there's nothing I could do about it and wanting to be anywhere else but in that in that place um and this sort of dark part of human nature that we want to take our stuff and put it onto another someone else and, and you know it, it you know that having experienced that that I could go and do that to another person is really um, you know it's it, it's shocking because I I knew better right mm-hmm. you know not from a moral perspective but from having been in a in that sort of hopeless uh type of situation and we got bored after a while and and just went on to do to do something else but I remember you know acting in in, in the front of the class you're like do it again you didn't feel that you know I was like it was like I was narrating the story as like you know a, a disembodied third person I couldn't do it and I had to do it over and over and over again I think it was a good two hours I think in front of the class acting it out acting it out as I was the gay man and then until I could connect and
1: yeah just so everybody understands that Tony we had Tony going from being the person throwing the stones to the person being in the darkness, being the gay guy who was having stones thrown at him, um, for for you to connect with what it was like on both sides of that. Because you, the, and it's important for people to understand, you were disconnected as the person throwing the stones. And therefore, of course, you were disconnected from the person you were throwing the stones at. And so when, when we went back through that, understanding of that and you were able to move into the other side which is what was it like to be so powerless stuck in a hole while somebody's throwing rocks at you suddenly you flipped on the other side to realize what you were actually doing and that's I think is a very important thing is because as you said so much of our quote hateful behavior is actually based in being emotionally disconnected. So continue on with what that experience was like for you. And I remember, you know,
0: you asked me what, what do you see in the, in the audience, Mm -hmm. the the other students, and and I I saw judgment. And, and you you know, you were taken aback by that because you didn't see judgment, you saw compassion and people Mm -hmm. who were, Caring as a as I struggled through the exercise mm-hmm. um, but but I just saw judgment and mm-hmm. and uh you know and, and a couple of weeks after that that event I was at a party and there was four older gay guys there and, and I remember uh, I don't know what maybe decide to do it, but I asked them if I could speak to them and walked went into a room and uh and I told them what I had what I had done. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I know I didn't do it to you, but somebody else did, you know, and I know I didn't do it to you, but I did it to your community. Um, and three of them, um, were broke down, crying, they're crying, I'm crying. It was this really emotional event. The fourth person wasn't ready to, to go there. And that's, that's his, his journey. It wasn't really, about me but what I what I learned in that in that session and and some of them are still friends to this day you know um, what I learned in that was how powerful a healing experience was um, for them you know what it didn't just you know wasn't just healing healing myself but I was I gave them an opportunity to let go of and to to forgive me and in doing so let go of the negative energy that they were carrying around and the anger they were carrying around for being being mistreated for being being gay and it was it was a very i got a glimpse of how much of of healing it was for uh for them and so i wanted to go back to the different communities that i'd harmed i remember asking um one of my jewish clients um You know, and I remember it was, it was, um, something you taught me when you're going to make a heartfelt apology. Um, so how did what I did affect you? Mm -hmm. Then you shut up and don't deflect. Don't, you know, you just take it in. And he said, and this Jewish client said, well, it wasn't, wasn't so much you, but you know, when I grew up, um, my mom used to keep a suitcase with passport and money by the, by the front door in case, you know, they, they ever came for us again and we could, we could leave on short notice. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, but with, I said, I know I, I'm not responsible for for that, but I said, you know, I made sure that that suitcase could never be put away. Yes. You know, I challenged, attacked the sense of safety that, um, that she, she had. And, and I told him, I said, look, I've spoken to Jewish communities in Florida and in Europe, and but never never in Vancouver. You know, never. we uh, are on your own home, home stomping ground. Yeah. <laughs> never, you know, where, where it was real and, and it was the community I had harmed the most. And he goes, well, does what every, every good Jew does when he meets an ex-neo-Nazi called his rabbi, right?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and so I went and saw Rabbi Dan. Moskowitz at Temple Shalom, and he said, oh, I, 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 think you, I think I know exactly when you're going to come in and, and talk to my congregation. Um, and then you came to a meeting with me, with me there, and it was just before uh, Yom Kippur,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: the Day of Atonement of all, of all things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we did, uh, you know, we had that uh, called the tshuva of a white supremacist, yeah. tshuva meaning the Hebrew word to, to return to you yep. know, return to the fold, to return to humanity. And, and, and so went to that synagogue and that, that synagogue ironically was, was where I committed my very first act of anti-Semitic vandalism by putting a national front sticker on the front door.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it sort of become full circle 30 years uh, later. And, and, so it was going in and facing the community that I had harmed. And again, I still saw a lot of judgment like in that classroom. I still mm-hmm. you know that's part of, um, you know, part of my own bullshit, but um, it was, it was incredibly powerful. And afterwards they, they came up to me and embraced me and, shook my hand and and i was overwhelmed by the the sense of openness um and and forgiveness you know from this community who who i had harmed the harmed the most and
1: see i clearly remember before we went in uh, and having our conversations you and i before uh not just before we went in but before as well and and you talking about how nervous you were and you know, I mean, you know, you, you'd spoken at the, uh, the Holocaust uh, uh, Museum, I think, that, is that right, in, in Florida uh, and many other different places like that. But right here on the home ground, being at that, at that shul, at that synagogue, and uh, I mean, you know, you and I had been in, we'd sat with the rabbi beforehand and that was fine. And you were pretty okay with that, but you were still nervous. And then that day, you were really nervous before going, and understandably. (coughs) And I was, you know, it was, I'm sure, I'm sure there were people in that audience who were judgmental. Um, But that was not anything we, we saw that, I mean, for me, it was amazing to watch people line up and shake your hand and thank you for what you shared about your journey and about your experience. Walk us through a little bit more of that, of being nervous, feeling the anxiety, expecting full-blown judgment, and then being Graced with genuine, not only forgiveness, because I think that can be somewhat empty, but um, right compassion. I mean, exactly what you talked about. Talk to us a little bit about about that.
0: It was it was over overwhelming because I didn't. It was unexpected for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the level to which the they embraced and and accepted me, and it was it was emotionally over overwhelming and 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 the just the the amount of healing that was happening in that in that room and and uh, it was you know from the nervousness to go to that was you know quite an quite opposite from what I was expecting Mm -hmm. um but I you know I'll never I'll never forget that 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 evening and uh, you know since spoken to two other synagogues in Vancouver because of that right um that evening but it 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 provides it taught me a lot about you know forgiveness and forgiveness is not about the other person uh, it's about letting go of that anger and neg- negativity from your from yourself and you can uh, forgive a person in person you don't even have to talk to a person to be able to release you no. you know release that um that anger, and so I gave. I looked at what I was doing is giving them an opportunity to be able to release that stuff from within themselves, and it wasn't really about uh, about me, but it was about them being able to move past what they were holding on to because of, uh, you know, like the gay guys. I'm, I'm sure that there's there's not a Jew alive that hasn't faced anti-Semitism at some point.
1: Of course. Um,
0: and and to have to acknowledge you know to see the 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 look and people when when i acknowledge the harm i had done when i acknowledge their pain and and uh you know i don't think uh you know like, like with the gay guys i don't think that they their tormentors um will ever acknowledge the pain that they that they put them through and and often people in marginalized communities um Suffer in silence, so to speak, but to be able to acknowledge the harm and acknowledge the the pain and gave them an opportunity to release the anger that they were having around that and and it was incredibly incredibly powerful and and you know then i I looked in my own life you know like you know back to my dad, how can I I could forgive him because I understand how he got there through his own childhood and and how oh. could I be angry at someone for not giving me something they didn't know how to give me right that, that I just torment myself if i if I'm gonna hold on to that anger um, and, and, and with that, I was able to let a whole it taught me enough about forgiveness that when i I looked at it in terms of my own process later on was able to get to letting go of of stuff that I'd been holding on to for for most of my adult life. Yeah,
1: one of the central pieces of the ideology of neo-Nazis is Holocaust denial. Um, And uh, a lot of uh, uh, misinformation, disinformation about the Holocaust, um, which you were very actively a part of when you were involved, and um, fairly recently, in recent times, uh, you took a to- uh, you took a trip to Europe. Tell us about that. Um,
0: yeah, I was going to a wedding in Budapest, and I figured since I was going to be there, um, I have to go, I have to go to Auschwitz. And but I remember at Budapest at this wedding, we rented an Airbnb. I remember walking around the neighborhood and and seeing a memorial to the Budapest Jewish Ghetto that I think had over four hundred thousand people in it, and and I realized, you know, you'd look through these little peepholes in the in the wall, and you would see a picture of what was, vi- you know, very vibrant Jewish life in a very vibrant Jewish community. Um, but you know, you, you look around today, and there's there's no Jewish life there, you know, and the synagogue is only really just getting, getting up and running again. But I realized that the Airbnb we were staying at was actually part of the, the Budapest Jewish ghetto, uh, during the war and that they were old buildings, you know, so the, the Mm. room that, you know, Rhianna and I were sleeping in, that would have, that very same room would have housed, you know, all kinds of I don't know how many Jews would have been in there, but they were, you know, in in an overcrowded situation there that we were the building we were staying in was part of, uh, and that was, that was pretty profound. And and I I went in front of the legislature in, in Budapest, there's a memorial and it's like 50 pairs of shoes,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, women's shoes, men's shoes. They're, they're all sort of cast iron. Yeah. children's shoes, and yeah. it's where the um, Arrow Cross militia machine gunned Jews into the Danube and they left they told them to step out of your shoes and then yeah. um, and then murdered them and when I finally got around to you know I went to Krakow before I got to auschwitz and and again, there was all these um, at the Krakow ghetto, there was all these signs and and remnants of of Jewish life it was almost like Weird ar- archeology span thing where you could see, you know, this is where this community used to used to live, and and mm. but, it, but but it's it's gone, and you know the community police station has as a like the indentation where the mezuzah scroll for someone's house used to used to mm-hmm. be. And they have seven synagogues, and and in the winter they sometimes don't even have enough to form a minyan, uh, which is ten men to start to start a service. Yet there's seven synagogues there you know, they just vanished. Yes. And going to Auschwitz after that really gave me the sense of, of perspective that I don't think I I would have got the same way had I just visited Auschwitz because it not only was Auschwitz the final destination for, for so many people, but I could see, you know, communities that had been emptied out. Yes, Before I got there and, and I got just the sheer scale of the operation and, and knowing that, you know, sure I was at Krakow and, and sure I was at Budapest, but there was cities throughout Europe that were emptied out of, uh, out of Jews and it gave me a sense of um, perspective. And I wanted to go to Auschwitz um, because I wanted to feel Auschwitz. Whenever I'd thought about the Holocaust before, it was from a place of complete disconnection. And you know, people say, "Well, how can you how can you deny the Holocaust?" And it's it's not as simple as saying it never happened. It's it was typhus, it was starvation, it was you know there was there was all these semi bad things that happened. You know, but there was no homicidal gas chambers. You know, and it's they get into um, you know, the, the fact that it's one, <laughs> one person died that way. Yeah. Um, but we, it, it becomes this intellectual gymnastic, you know, rationalization, um, that, that you can only get to from a place of complete disconnection. So I wanted to go there now that I'd, anyone, thank you for teaching me how to feel Um, I wanted to go there because energy doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I remember going through some of the rooms with artifacts, you know, I
1: want to go to, I want to go to, I want to go to Auschwitz in a minute. Uh, We're going to take a break, but before we do, you know, I just, I want to sort of put a pause on it here because I think that what you did there was so important that it's one thing to, to, to jump off a plane and go into Auschwitz from your life to Auschwitz. And it's like, okay, you know, there's still a disconnect from context. And I think it's so interesting that you chose to, uh, to go to these places, to go to these cities, to go to, to be in these environments that could give you a context, a shadow, uh, 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 a ripple halo effect of being in a community that was once a thriving Jewish community that was now, you know, I mean, the war is a long time ago, right? People don't realize it's actually a long time ago. You know, there's very few people left in in the world who were actually in those camps. And so to, to go and to see that, all those years later, these communities are still devastated, really gives that, you know, I think it's so powerful that you got to experience that before stepping into Auschwitz, because I know I was planning on going with you and that didn't work out, but um, I know that you went in and it became part of a filming and and there was uh, questions and such, and I want to come to that after the break.